This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Min Dariwal. And welcome to The Loop. June marks Indigenous Peoples History Month across Canada, and people all around the city are celebrating and exploring and talking about all the communities that have called Edmonton home for a very long time. Yeah, it's cool to see because although June has been a month dedicated to Indigenous history since 2009, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of growth and a lot of development over the years to really strengthen and support the Indigenous community and how we talk about the heritage of this land. There are things happening across the city, at the library, in schools, at the art gallery, and all kinds of public spaces. And there are commemorations happening that will continue long after the month that reflect on the challenges faced by members of the Indigenous community and the change that needs to happen. Like Okisikau or Angel Way, the new crosswalk in downtown Edmonton is covered in colorful butterflies to represent equality and mark those who have been lost. It's designed by the late Indigenous artist Gloria Niepatung and was painted by Nick Goodswimmer. And it opened with a ceremony this week. Ho, ho! Hey, hey! Okisagawe is here to stay! My name is Nick Goodswimmer. I was actually on my way to doing projects and then I got asked one day as, um, as a youth. Um, they were uh, specifically looking for youth that wanted to do art that was also indigenous. And so uh, I wasn't really expecting it. And then they asked me and I said, yeah, sure, let's go at her. It actually means a lot to me as I have lost a lot of people out here as well. And I myself, am, um, I also was on the streets as well and have seen a lot of domestic violence and stuff like that. So it's really, really, really hard touching and I'm, I'm about to cry right now. <laughs> One of the things one of my best supporters said, silence is violence. My name is Elizabeth Collingbull Taylor. That was the name I was born with. Um, Taylor is a married name from the white world. And I took both names to honor both because I wouldn't be here today without both cultures. With all the trauma I'd been through, um, I couldn't, I lost a son. I, I come from everything imaginable, every abuse out there. And I always say when I write a book, it's going to be called Never Been Shot because that's the only thing that's never been done to me. And that's not a word of a lie. And the sad part about it is almost everyone out here has done the same thing. I think it's about time like to, to see, to have the honor. Like these women never had a prayer. Um, so many of them didn't even have a chance to survive, like to live. Out here is about survival. It's about surviving moment to moment to moment. And some of them just didn't have the strength. So for them to be honored when they didn't have a voice, I think is amazing. I'm going to sing a song now. And at the same time, I hope we'll just honor the people on the streets, the people that passed away, the huge issue that's not solved, the problem that continues. And this is Canada's truth. I'm sick and tired of being quiet. That 
That was some tape from the opening of Okisakao Way or Angel Way at 101A Avenue and 97th Street. And it's just one of the many conversations, important conversations that are happening throughout Indigenous Peoples History Month. And Mayor Sohi has actually announced June 14th is officially Okisakao Way Day in the city. Cool. Yeah. And of course, coming up on June 21st, it's National Indigenous Peoples Day, and there will be a ton of events across the city to market, but this whole month is a chance to look back and forward. There is still so much to share and tell when it comes to Indigenous communities in our province. Yeah, and a name that I think we both have become familiar with um, is really a modern voice in Canada's Indigenous history, Keisha Supernant. Right. Uh, she's an anthropology professor at the U of A and a Métis archaeologist, and she's the chair of the Unmarked Graves Working Group with the Canadian Archaeological Association. She's been working closely with communities to use ground-penetrating radar on the sites of former residential schools. Mm-hmm. But Supernant wears a lot of hats, and one of them is director of the Institute of Prairie and Indigenous Archaeology. And it's under that very wide-brim, sun-safe hat that right. she's running <laughs> an Indigenous Archaeology Field School this summer in St. Albert. Very cool. Min, have you been there along the Sturgeon River? I have. Yeah? Usually swinging a club badly, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Uh, there's some courses nearby, Yeah, and it's amazing views. It's gorgeous up there, I right? I haven't been like, right on the shores, yeah. but uh, it certainly looks like it would be a fun place to explore. Yeah, and it's those l- big grassy fields, right? There's yeah. these little patches, and uh, specifically the area they're working is right at River Lots 23 and 24. So it's these long stretches of land that have gone down to the river. There's this community garden up top and a grain elevator park. Right. Right. Um, but it's in this space where there's a collection of some of St. Albert's oldest houses, which are actually really quite cool to look at. That would be something else. You can go inside and see, like they've got them all set up so you can go in and see. I love looking at like old kitchens. I'm, I'm picturing <laughs> something a little rickety. Yeah, a little rickety. Old kitchens. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. What, yeah. Is that, what does that look like? Uh, it's not something I'd want to use today. <laughs> I don't know how it would work for my, like, KD in the pot. You might need a little spick and span there. Just a little. But it is here that they're digging uh, because this was land that was owned by prominent Métis and French-Canadian families and was also the former site of an HBC trading post. Oh, didn't know that. No, and it's cool because, I mean, I grew up, like most children who watched Jurassic Park, being like, Digging up stuff, yeah. archaeology, paleontology. Um, so it was cool. I got to go and spend a morning at the field school that with Keisha. I met some of her students who I think also shared maybe some of my passion for like Indiana Jones. Yes. Um, but it was pretty incredible to see what they've already uncovered yeah. just halfway through the dig. So what do, you, what do you think they may have found, Min? Bones. Good guess. What kind of bones? Very big ones. <laughs> Cow bones. Yeah. Cow bones. Cow bones. They got, I was um, close. It's called the maxilla, which is a new term I learned. It's the top half of a cow skull. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they found- So it must have been a huge like pasture or exa- big field. Well, it's funny. Keish refers to it. It's the trash ground, right? Like oh. literally one man's trash is an archaeologist's treasure. Of course. Because they would, you know, they had, there's rib bones with all these cut marks on them. Right. Because it was clearly like they had ribs for dinner. And then they like- Threw it all into, yeah, threw it all into their garbage pile, which then got laid over with dirt and grass. And now we can find it. Um, So, of course, there's all this cow stuff. um, But there's other, there's stone tool remnants. uh, There's field posts. And there were some actually weird recent things. Like there was the peg of a light bright board. I don't know what that is. Do do you remember the toy? I know what it is. I know what it is. (laughs) The toy back in the day. I just wanted to throw you for a loop. That was like no my favorite intended. thing going. But it's, Light bright. That was legendary. <laughs> but you can find all these layers, right? And yes. it shows pre-contact, these stone tools. But then people kept returning More recent stuff. to this place. Yeah. yeah, yeah There's yeah. like a lot of life and generations of life that happened yeah. at this spot. 
Um, but the thing that stuck out to me the most, I think, about this experience is that like extra layers of care that mm-hmm. goes into the field school. And it's what Keisha refers to in her work as a heart-centered approach okay. to Indigenous archaeology. So we sat down in the shade of one of these really old houses and in these really well-loved camp chairs to talk about the field school and Keisha's work as a Métis archaeologist today. Um, hello, I'm Dr. Keisha Supernant. I am Métis and I am director of the Institute of Prairie and Indigenous Archaeology at the University of Alberta. And I'm the one teaching the archaeological field school out here at the River Lots 23 and 24 in St. Albert. Tell me about this field school. What does it entail? So the field school involves training undergraduate students in how to do archaeology actually the hands-on components of it, so the excavation and mapping and exploration that we do in archaeology, they learn about the concepts, but this is actually how to put them into practice. And this field school in particular is also about Indigenous archaeology, about centering the community uh, in the work that we do and learning how to be a good relation as we do archaeological work in Indigenous lands. How important is that hands-on stuff to take things out of the classroom and actually, you know, hold some of these tools that you're working with? In archaeology, it is absolutely essential to get some sort of hands-on experience. We work with material. We work with the land. We work with exploring the past through looking at actual things. And I think that the experiential part of archaeology is a really important aspect to learning. Um, Holding the belongings of ancestors is an entirely different thing than seeing a picture of them or reading about them. Um, But also the kind of practical aspects of how you actually dig in the ground is also really important because we have specific ways that we do that in order to be very careful, to be very respectful, and to record a lot of information about the process. Because when we dig, we destroy in the process. So we have to be very detail-oriented. We have to be very careful about the information that we gather. So having that experience really makes a big difference in students' possible success as archaeologists. Tell me about this land that we're on and that you're working on with the field school. So this year we are lucky to be working on historic river lots 23 and 24 in St. Albert. These are locations in this now in the city but were part of the original sort of settlement of St. Albert, uh, lived on by Métis families, uh, and very much also connected to the river. So it's right along the Sturgeon River. We're not that far from Big Lake. And this would have been a place, even probably before the river lots were here, that people would have been using for potentially thousands of years. But we're really interested in the history of the Métis families who were connected to this land. As a Métis archaeologist myself, as someone with connections to the broader community in St. Albert, I'm really interested in what that material history can tell us about Métis people. There's a fair bit of written history, there's oral history, both of which are very important, but the material history tells a different story and can bring forth aspects of the past that don't often end up in the written histories, the things about like children or women or the kind of daily life of the families that lived here. So we're looking at that material history to try to bring those stories to light. You mentioned and you used the term being a good relation. Uh, Talk to me about how that is incorporated into all of the work that you do. I think learning to be a good relation in archaeology is really essential. And there's a few reasons why. First, a lot of archaeology happens, certainly in Canada, on Indigenous histories and Indigenous lands. And archaeology has not always been respectful 
of indigenous peoples. It's been very extractive and literally we take things out of the ground and put them in museums. So for me, learning to be a good relation in archaeology means respecting that deeper history. We also are literally in the land. Like we dig up the earth. And so making sure that we're doing that in a way that respects protocol, that um, ensures that students understand that it's not just a scientific endeavor, that we are in fact doing a form of land-based learning. Uh, but also connecting the past to the present is a really important part for me of being a good relation. So much of what we learn about Indigenous peoples is like in the past, right? They, they used all the parts of the buffalo, these sort of classic um, stereotypes about Indigenous peoples. And we're still here and we still have a connection to those histories and the past and the present aren't as separated in a lot of indigenous ways of understanding. And so when we are learning to be a good relation, we're also learning about Métis culture. So one of the really wonderful parts of being in this place on River Lots 23 and 24 is that we're also engaging with Métis knowledge holders and elders as part of the actual work we're doing. Students are not just learning how to dig and how to map and how to use the technology and the science. They're learning about the land from Métis knowledge holders. They're learning about plants and animal relations. We're going to do beading. We're going to learn some machif so that they recognize that it's not just about that material past, it's also about the present and ultimately about the future. So all of that to me is about being a good relation where we respect the protocols and we learn about the knowledge of, of this place as well as the belongings of Métis ancestors who lived in this place. Talk to me about your students. What are you saying from them as they continue to do this work? And, and I mean, pardon the pun, but dig in. Yeah, the students are really, I think, starting to engage with the history that we're learning. I think last week we had our first sort of cultural programming and to see their engagement with that and, and how that kind of supplemented what they'd already been, been learning and also had them thinking about what are the aspects of the knowledge that we're learning that we might find in the material record, I think is, is really exciting. And then they're also, I think, excited about finding things, right? Part of, I think, what draws a lot of us to archaeology is that uncovering, right? That, that reconnecting with those material belongings of human ancestors. And, you know, I, I remember the first time that I got to hold uh, a real uh, 1.6 million year old hand axe made by one of our human ancestors. And that was just an amazing feeling. There's something really powerful about connecting in that way. And so watching the students as they find things and get excited about what they're finding and what they can learn from that material has also been really, really great. Uh, and we have a lot of Indigenous students as well, which is really exciting to me because not only bringing more Indigenous folks into archaeology is important for the discipline, but also I want to create an environment where they can thrive so they don't have to become a different version of themselves in order to be archaeologists. And that's a really important part of this to kind of create that for them, that opportunity for them. Do you wish a program like this was around when you were in school and learning? I, I really do. At the same time, I was really lucky in that in 2001, when I did my field school, we worked really closely with the First Nation, which was unusual at the time. But it was a really, really formative experience for me where we learned about spiritual protocol and we learned about the connection that the community had to the past. Not many field schools at that time were like that. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of that, which I think is, is really great. At the same time, I really wish I could have learned about the Métis past uh, from archaeology at the time. And at that time, there was virtually no Métis archaeology being done in the country. Uh, and that's partly because there tends to be a division in archaeology between the pre-contact period 
and then the historic period, because the material is very different, right? So once you get European trade goods, a lot of things change in the material record. And also just a lot of things change at that time. But the Métis are not often considered in the archaeology. So historic is sort of seen to be European and pre-contact is First Nations, but we are a post-contact Indigenous people and our identity and our nationhood and our peoplehood emerged after contact. So every Métis archaeological site is a historic archaeological site. And we're not often consulted about that. We're not engaged about that. A lot of our heritage places have been impacted without our consultation or consent. And so part of my work is really bringing awareness to everyone, including sometimes my own relatives, that we have an archaeological record and it deserves to be protected and it deserves to be celebrated because we can learn a lot from that, including demonstrating where we were across the homeland and demonstrating the lives of our ancestors. Uh, so I'm really passionate about advocating for awareness around the Métis archaeological record. Every single fur trade fort in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba was built by Métis people because we were there. We were often the largest part of the population of the fur trade. But if you look at fur trade archaeology, they don't talk about us. And so I'm really hoping to change that narrative and fill up, fill some of those gaps. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I never even thought about that. I know, right? Nobody does. No. <laughs> Every <laughs> single fur trade post built by us <laughs> or our ancestors in some cases, yeah, but like, this is mine. This is ours. Yeah. You know, it's not only ours, but yeah. it is ours. And we're, we're so left out of the story. Yeah. And yet that is our origin story in a lot of ways those connections to those places. I think about my ancestors. You know, I can draw ancestry back to the Métis root ancestors in Alberta to at least the late 1700s, early 1800s, like right when the fur trade was coming out here. My ancestor Thomas Gray took David Thompson through Jasper, right? But he's not part of the narrative. It's all about David Thompson. But he was relying on my ancestor in order to do that safely. It's like filling in just the the other parts of the story. We have these one kind of single narrative, but there's so much more to it to discover. Yeah, there's so much more to discover. And also a lot of written histories only focus on men. And we are really interested here about family life because the Cunningham family lived in this river lot and they had children and they had different kinds of activities that wouldn't make it into those written histories. So it's also filling in those, those gaps um, and finding ways that often even very different stories can emerge from the material record that history doesn't actually tell. I have to ask, I know you're in the middle of it, it's still going, but what have you found so far? Well, we have found a number of things so far. Um, we are working most actively on the river lot site in an area where we know was a dumping ground um, for the Cunningham family, likely in the early part of the 20th century. And so there's lots of stuff coming up there. We've got glass and metal and nails, and we found a cow skull, which the students were very excited about. Um, other kinds of building materials that, that are coming up. But we had been doing some testing last week to kind of figure out where we wanted to focus our excavation efforts, because it's our first season here at this site. And we also found some evidence that there's an earlier time that this place was was occupied, which is not surprising, but we do have now the material evidence of that. So a couple of stone tools and some bone that's cl clearly been modified by humans. Not sure how old it is, but 
likely prior to European contact. We're on the Sturgeon River. I'm not entirely surprised that an area like this would be used by First Nations folks for probably millennia. Um, so we're excited as well to see what that might tell us. It was not part of necessarily what we were expecting uh, or targeting, but it did come up in one of the tests that we were doing. And that's very exciting as well. The students were really, really intrigued by that component, that deeper history too. So already we've been finding a number of pieces of information about that material history. And we're only just getting started. We've gotten you know, another two and a half weeks here, excavating all the time, uncovering more and more of that hidden history. What are your hopes for the archaeological field school? Not just this summer, but going forward. I mean, this work just keeps keeps seeming to grow. I hope that we can really continue in the way that we have started this year, uh, where we can work really closely with the community. There's just an overwhelming amount of enthusiasm from Métis folks in St. Albert in particular to see what this will help bring to light because those gaps are so real in the story. And I just am really hoping that we can continue to train that next generation of archaeologists in a different way of doing archaeology and one that is respectful and engaged with Indigenous communities that really is about what the community wants to know, right? And we can use our archaeological skills to uncover that, but it really meets that kind of community need as well. And for me, that's the future of archaeology. So I hope we can continue a program like this to bring in more and more students and, and train them in ways that they can then take out into the world. A lot of our students end up working in the field of archaeology because there's a lot of archaeology that happens in Alberta and in other places, in advanced development and other things. So I really want folks to be able to take what they've learned here and to be part of that transformation of archaeological practice more broadly. I think one of the aspects of this work that's really meaningful to me is also that personal connection. Doing Métis archaeology has been a really important part of my own journey home. Uh, my father was raised in child, the child welfare system. I was raised very disconnected from my Métis relatives. And I've spent the last 20 years of my life really trying to reconnect and learn what that means and learn what it means to be a good relation, figuring out who I'm related to, who's living. But the archaeology has been a really important part of that as well, because I'm learning about the stories of my ancestors. And I didn't get to learn about those growing up. I didn't know my grandmother and my my family on that side. And some of our family do, do have stories, but a lot of them have been lost or taken really because of the various systems that have disconnected us from our past. And for me, this is really part of reclamation and resurgence is to reclaim our stories. But it's also very deeply personal. I have an eight-year-old daughter, and she's growing up with a very different sense of what it means to be Métis than I ever got to. And she it's just part of her life in a different kind of way. And this work can really enhance that. And for some of the students as well, it can be a really strong way to reconnect and to come back to community. And so that's a really important part of this work for me as well. What does it mean to you to be able to see your daughter and these students with those connections to be able to offer a little bit more of that to them? I think it's really a part of our healing as a as a people, but also thinking about the sort of seven generations. So a lot of Indigenous teachings and, and the ones I'm familiar with in my own community talk about the seven generations that came before and the seven generations that came, come after. And we are in this place doing archaeology where we really are connecting back to those seven generations before, but we're bringing them to the present to be able to connect them with those seven generations in the future. That reclamation of our stories and our history is such an important part of building a resurgent Métis community and broader Indigenous community. And for me, it's such an exciting part of that work. And so it gives me a lot of hope.
for the future because there's been a lot of harm and I do a lot of work around that harm as well but doing this Métis archaeological work is very joyful for me it really is about imagining those brighter futures yeah the, so much of the work that you've done has been really hard yeah. in the last few years what does it mean to be able to be out here in the sun with students finding cow skulls um, just talk to me about that it has been really good for me uh, to be able to be in this sort of environment. Uh, the work that I do to help find unmarked graves in residential schools is extremely meaningful, but it is extremely hard. And this opportunity to find, to refine that kind of joy in the type of work that I do um, beyond the unmarked graves work, which again is so core and important, but it is very heartbreaking. And so this is not heartbreaking. This is sort of heart lifting. And um, after two years of really intensive work, I need that, that lift. Um, and watching the kind of students really engage in this has been really exciting as well, because I actually really love to teach and I haven't been able to do it a lot over the last couple of years because my attention has necessarily been elsewhere. But watching them kind of take it up and engage has been really, really great. And then the other thing that's been so wonderful is the kind of enthusiasm we've had from the Métis folks, both who work at the site here, but also the broader community, just that sense of excitement and and uh, exploration and they're so you know they want to know everything that we're finding and that for me is also really uplifting I've always wanted to do archaeology like this and it hasn't always been possible but it is possible now and I'm really really excited about that Keisha thank you so much thank you The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton and our team this week is Leslie Goldstone and Chris Martin our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonneman. And we want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Mindariwal. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at theloop at cbc.ca. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show, and you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.